So it's been an epic shift uh, for us. In fact, it's kind of weirded me out. Pam is the Christmas decorating queen and the shopping guru. Gift giving is her love language, decorating is her passion. And so when Christmas rolls around, we have a really, a, a, a really beautiful seven-foot tree. It, it, it actually came out of a decorator store that was, was actually selling out after Christmas season a few years ago, and I got it really cheap, and it's just a beautiful tree. It even has the snow already built on it, and it's just a beautiful thing. And, and so every year, uh, Pam will move all the furniture around and make it the, the center of attention. And then she will every year decorate it with a new theme and, and, and just make it absolutely beautiful. And, and then, did I mention we have 10 nativity sets? Pam thinks that if I get up from the family room to go to the kitchen, which is about eight steps, that I'm going to forget this reason for the season. So she places those. And in fact, if you come to our house, generally every year, you got to be careful where you put stuff down because you could cover the baby Jesus because there's two of him in every room. <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, she said, I'm going to decorate. So before I left the house early that morning, I pulled my car out, pulled all the crates down, and, and, and got all the, the tubs opened up for her to get all the decorating things. And I came home that night, and sure enough, I walked in, and, and the, uh, the furniture was all moved. But then I was really surprised because just sitting over in the corner was a very small Christmas tree on a table, minimally decorated, very beautiful, but just not to the extent that she normally would go. And I just, I, I kind of looked at her and said, are you okay? <laughs> she said, I'm fine. And then I looked for the nativity sets, and all I could find was one. It was one of the small ones about this size, sitting just on a, a table that holds dishes. And I'm like, where's the rest of them? She always said, they're out in the garage. I said, are you okay? Well, I'm fine. I said, well, you know, we got to get shopping. And, and so you got the list ready. She goes, oh, we're done. I said, we haven't got anything. She said, the kids have plenty. I thought, what? Are you okay? She said, we got them stuff for Thanksgiving, and, and they're, they're just good. And, and I said, what's going on? She said, well, this year I just don't want I don't want to, I don't, I, I, I don't want to spend all the time. I would rather just come home and rest and enjoy the season. And she's content, or an alien, I'm not sure which. <laughs> For us, it's, it's a shift from that frenetic exhaustion of 12 drummers drumming and eight pipers piping and 10 lords a-leaping and nine ladies dancing and eight maids a-milking and seven swans a-swimming, six geese a-laying, and five rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Doesn't that sound tiring? <laughs> and it's been exchanged really for us this year. It's an epic shift for us to silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Sleep in heavenly peace, which some of you are doing right now. Wake up. <laughs> which begs this question, why are our lives always so busy even when we're supposed to be on holiday? 
especially when we're supposed to be on holiday. So the word holiday comes from what two words? Holy day. And built within that phrase is actually the whole intention of Sabbath or sabbatical, which means to be exempt from labor and busyness. The Economist magazine has, has published that the American workers, us, work some of the longest hours of any industrial nation. And that if we are average Americans here, most of us will only use half of our vacation time. And in fact, 15% of you in this room, 15 out of every 100 in this room, will not use any of your vacation time. Why? Because there's just so much to do. There's just things I have to get done. And what we have done is created a culture which emphasizes achievement over relationship. So there's this businessman who's sitting on a beach in a small Brazilian village. As, as he's sitting there, he sees a Brazilian fisherman come, come rowing back into, into the, the dock, and, and he's got a fair amount of fish. He says, how long does that take you to catch that many fish? He said, oh, just a little while. He said, well, then why don't you stay out longer and catch more fish? Well, right now, that's enough to feed my family. So what do you do the rest of the day? The fisherman says, well, I usually wake up early in the morning, go out to sea and catch a few fish. Then I go back and play with my kids. And in the afternoon, I take a nap with my wife. And evening comes, I join my buddies in the village for a drink. We play guitar, sing, and dance throughout the night. And the businessman says, well, let me help you here. He said, I have a PhD in business management. So I could help you become a more successful person. From now on, you should spend more time in the, at the sea and try to catch as many fish as possible. And when you've saved enough money, you could buy a bigger boat, catch more fish. And soon you'll be able to afford buy, to buy more boats, set up your company, your own production plant for canned food and a distribution network. And by then you can move out of this little village and go to Sao Paulo where you can set up a headquarters and manage all your other branches. Fisherman says, and after that? Well, after that, you can live like a king in your own house. And when time is right, you can go public and float your shares in the stock exchange and you'll be rich. Well, and after that, well, after that, you can finally retire. You can move to a house, buy a fishing village, wake up early in the morning, catch a few fish, return home to play with kids, have a nice afternoon nap with your wife, and when evening comes, you can join your buddies for a drink, play the guitar, sing and dance throughout the night. Why is it that we are in such a hurry to be busy? Why is it that our driving value in America is this? How can I do the most and be the best as fast as possible? Google says, and Google would know, that we who go to the web are less often to visit certain websites if we find out that they're, now catch this, 250 milliseconds slower than their closest competitor. We'll go someplace else for 250 milliseconds. That 20% of us in this room will abandon a download of a video if it takes longer than five seconds. We are in a hurry. We're finding ourselves, and, and in the video, Pastor Jason mentioned that we, we have no margins, we have no space, our, our calendars are full, we're on the edge of exhaustion, maybe even close to burnout. And why? So that one day we will rest. And in this unrelenting pace, our creator shows up, and this is what he says to us. Are you tired? 
Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Just say that, unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The terminology, and some of you that know other versions of this say, he says, take my yoke upon you. That is the whole idea of discipleship. So, so if, if Luke says to me, hey, take my yoke upon you, what Luke is saying to me is, come be with me. Follow what I do. You just saw a video on discipleship. That's what we're talking about. I would say to Luke, I'm going to come follow you. And Luke would say, now watch how I do life and we'll do life together. And as you watch me, you begin to do life like I do life. And I'll watch you do life to make sure you're doing it right. And after you've got it right, then you go find somebody else and you walk with them and you guys do life together the way that Jesus would do life or the way that I'm following Luke, the way that Luke would do life. And so here in this community of faith, who do we say we are? Followers of Jesus, and what do we do? That's it. So if we're followers of Jesus, and if we're doing life together, and we're not at rest, because Jesus said, if you follow me, the marked characteristic of you following me is that you will be at rest. And if you're not at rest, the question is, are you really following me? So these last five weeks, we've been looking at this love revolution how God shows up in the most unexpected places with the most uninvited people, the most undeserving people, the people you would never expect. And some of those include us in this room whose lives are so out of control in our schedules and what we have to do that we are either close to or in burnout. And here's what he comes to show us, that our busyness blinds us. Nobody seemed to live a more efficient life than Jesus. Jesus always seemed to be at the right place, at the right time, with the right people. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry I'm late, said Jesus. Never. Always. At the right place, at the right time, you never, ever see Jesus in a hurry. One of those moments is recorded by John, a follower of Jesus, and here's the story. As he went along, Jesus, not in a hurry, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said this, he spit on the ground. He made a salve. He made mud from saliva. And he put it on the man's eyes. And he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This word actually means the pool of being sent. So the man went and washed and came home what? Seeing. He was healed. Now, how did Jesus do that? I want to propose to you this morning that, that there's some really wonderful truths here, and, and, and some of those include this, that purpose creates view, and soul-soaking creates pace. 
So this week, when you're out doing what you're going to be doing this week, and, and it's not your normal week because you're moving up to Christmas, so you may have more shopping to do, or you may still have not gotten the tree up and you plan on doing that, and you've got family coming and the house has to be clean, and you've got to go buy new towels because you've got company coming, and you've, you've got a long list, and as soon as you get out of here, you're going to run over the mall, and, 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 and you're going to grab a hamburger on the way, and then you're going to try to get through the crowds of people, and, and you're just exhausted thinking about it. Oh, you've got to get all that work done before you can take your, your vacation break. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself a question. Whatever you're doing this week, why am I doing it? Why is it so important? What is my purpose in doing this? And the second question is, why am I doing that at this pace? Because if you talk to Jesus, Jesus would tell you this. And it's the very core of who he is. The Father, the Creator, God, and me, Jesus, are one. And I only do what my Father tells me to do. Jesus has this ability to see the big picture and today's picture, what we seem to be missing so often. For Jesus, the big picture was this. You ask him, and he would say, I have come not to be served, although I could be, because I am the creator of the world and I am God. But I have come to serve and give my life a ransom for many. I have come to die in your world so that you can be born in my world, and I will show you how to be born in my world by the reconciliation you will have with the Father, and I will show you how to live out that reconciliation, not just in the future, but right now, today, in this world. Here's how you do this. I want to show you. So, so everything that Jesus did had that major purpose in mind. You say, well, I don't know what my purpose is. Well, let's just start with, because Jason just showed you on a video. Your purpose is to follow Jesus, understand how he journeys in life, and to do life with him. And then as you do life with him, you do life with others, and you bring them into a relationship with Jesus. That is your big picture window. That's why you're still here on earth. Jesus said, go into all the world and, and make disciples everywhere. That's your deal. But what about tomorrow on Monday? What's the deal then? Well, Jesus had this way of understanding what his major deal was and then getting up in the morning and just doing what he knows he should do, but at the same time, having that purpose in mind, kept a view open for whatever God wanted him to do throughout the day. So that God may say to him, just, you know, go on and do your normal thing because, because I, there's this great, great truth that says this, that in the absence of a direct word from God, hit the default button. So if tomorrow you're supposed to go to work, go to work. So you're heading to work. And as you're aware of what God's saying in your life, you're aware of your, your purpose, he may say, oh, that person right there in the break room that's sitting by themselves, I want you today to go right over there right now and begin to just share your story. Let them share their story. Connect with them. See that person that's, that's, that's holding up the sign on the street corner that says, need help, go pick them up and go get them some soup. Figure out what they need in life. So whatever it is during the day, you are now aware of your big purpose. What's he gonna tell you to do right now? Jesus knew how to do that so that God would say to him right there, that thing. Today you need to go to Samaria. There's, there's a lady sitting, sitting by a well. You got to talk to her. And Jesus would do that. You say, well, that's Jesus. He's God. Yeah, but Jesus said, I'm giving you the same ability and the same Father who gave you 
this, this, this assignment, come do that. And so you're aware of that. Now, here's what Jesus did. Jesus kept his schedule free enough that he never added anything that would exhaust him because busyness corrupts pace. And pace with Jesus is always characterized by peace. Wherever Jesus was and whatever he did and wherever he was going, it was always characterized by peace. Peace results from confirmation of guidance and resource. Jesus knew what God had told him to do and would guide him, and he had all the resources he needs for that. As a result, peace produces healthy pace. It is this whole thing that we call soaking our soul in God. Soaking our soul in God is, is this, this ability to, to just be with him so we know, we know what his guidance is. Okay, so, so let's do this. If you went home today and took your favorite shirt and, and you poured into a, a, big, a, a big bowl root beer and you took your favorite shirt and you, and you put it in the root beer and you let it soak there for a while and then you started to wring it out, what would come out as you wring it? Root beer. If you don't believe me, then, then try that. Or, or take ketchup. Put ketchup in a bowl. Put your favorite shirt in there and wring it out. What do you get? Ketchup. Because the principle is this. Hang on, because it's really deep. Whatever you're soaking in, whenever you get under pressure, that's what you give out. So if you're soaking in God, if you're soaking in the presence of Jesus, when times get tight, when life begins to ring on you a little bit, what happens is you will begin to give out the guidance of God that he's already soaked into you. You will know what to do and you will be content because you know he also always provides the resources for whatever he guides you to do. So that when you're squeezed, when you're squeezed, you give out bad attitude. That's what you've been soaking in. If you give out fear, that's what you've been soaking in. If you give out selfishness, that's what you've been soaking in. But if you give out peace, that's what you've been soaking in. God's will is always matched by his resources, and there's always enough time in a day to do God's will. Everything else is excess. That's what Jesus called the unforced rhythms of grace. So Jesus had this ability to walk at a pace where he could always be aware of God's purpose. Busyness will blind us to purpose. Busyness will keep us from seeing the opportunities that are around us. And so as Jesus is walking through the day, he feels the father say to him, the blind guy, go deal with that. And Jesus is really good with dealing with blind people. Not just physically blind, but also those who are blind to their purpose and their pace. I appreciate the words that are given to us by Paul Maxwell, who says, we're not blind to the world around us, all the busyness happening around us all the time. We're blind by the world around us to God himself. We are so blind that it is God who must see us, as he passed, he saw a blind man from birth. 
We're so busy that it's Jesus who must be busy toward us. We are blind to ourselves, to the pool of purpose and peace called sent. We're blind to our Savior. So how do we know? How do we know if we're blind to our purpose and to our pace? Let me, let me give you some, some indicators. The first is this. We feel value when we are at top speed. Ah, oh, maybe I got a lot to do. Get out of my way. Here we go. I got this and this and this. And man, you're so busy. I know, I know, I know. Well, the problem is this: that, that we think that if we are busy, we're going to convince ourselves or we're going to convince other people that we're essential because we're doing so much. And we use the phrase, and it's a wrong phrase. We should not use this. If you want to get something done, go find someone who's busy. And we go, that's me, baby, come see me. Yeah, and you're also on the edge of burnout. And you may be missing the most important opportunities around you because you're so busy. I I think part of the problem is that we don't slow down because there's some stuff in here that we need to deal with, but as long as we're busy, we don't have to deal with it. Because that's one, of the, what's, that's one of the terrorizing things about getting quiet before God. We're afraid he's going to uncover all that stuff that we do not want to deal with. But the result of dealing with it is peace. Or we don't want to deal with those relationships that are still in conflict that we have not resolved. Therefore, if I stay real busy, I don't have to stop and talk to you about those issues. I'll just keep moving. My father, who was one of my mentors for so many years, would would ask me how I'm doing, and if I said, ah, I'm pretty stressed out, he'd say, go soak, and not go soak your head, but go soak. And I know what he meant. He meant you go and get in God's presence. And, and, and that would mean this. I would, I would go someplace where I wouldn't be interrupted, and I would sometimes turn on worship music and just listen to the words and let, it, let them soak in God's presence. Sometimes I just start to begin to read the scriptures, not to to prepare a lesson, not to get ready for a class, but just to let the truth, the breath of God, which are the scriptures, soak in. Sometimes I would just say, oh God, I just need you. I'm just gonna sit here, or I'm just gonna take a walk down Presque Isle and just just enjoy you and, and give you thanks for who you are. Sometimes I would just sit there and I would pray in the spirit. Just say, here, here's my praise to you. And my father would say, Do never, don't leave that place until you have had this sense of, and there's peace. And then keep that peace as you walk. Don't fool yourself that being at top speed is the most efficient way. Being at peace is the most efficient way. Second indicator is this. We are more fascinated with gadgets than with God. If we're more tuned to our email alerts than we are to the whisper of the Holy Spirit, we're going to lose both our contentment and our significance. And we are just so wrapped up in that now, aren't we? Some of you still just holding your phone right now. You say, I'm taking notes. Yeah, as you're also Googling other things and checking out Facebook. Because it's just, it's part of our life now. 
Let's not find our value in the, in the next text we receive, but how about finding our, our value being present in the moment with God? Being present in the moment with the person we're actually talking to. In, instead of, in, in, I, I, Pam and I seated at a restaurant the other day, and actually I, I came in late, and, and she had a table waiting, and I looked down the row as, as I walked up to her, and every table, every person had their phone and weren't even talking to each other. Or they may be texting to each other, I don't know. You say, you got something against high tech? No. I got something about not being present in the moment. So I have a question for you. Do you really have to answer that phone when it rings? I watch people on treadmills texting. I, I, what are you doing? You're going to fall off that thing and no one's going to care. <laughs> Tell me who I should text on your behalf. <laughs> I read, this is the truth. I read, I read in, uh, a true story of a funeral and the pallbearers are carrying out the casket. Somebody's phone rings and one of the pallbearers answers his phone while he's carrying the casket. Seriously? And quite honestly, in this gathering, if your phone rings, I understand sometimes you don't get off, but do you have to answer it in here? Do you think God might want your attention? See what we do? We're with someone. You don't have to check and see what Rihanna's latest tweet is. Talk to each other. And who said we have to answer a text within 60 seconds or an email within 24 hours? Who made up that rule? You say, well, but you know, okay, well, Paul the Apostle actually talks to us about this, about tweets? Yeah, in a way. He says this, you say I am allowed to do anything in, in, in this relationship with Jesus, as long as we're loving God and loving, loving each other, there's not a whole lot of rules, so we say we can do anything. But not everything is good for you, and even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to it. Seriously. So you say, well, I'm not a slave. Okay, let's do this. I dare you. I dare you between Christmas and New Year's to have one evening where you get with friends or family and everybody turns their phones off and no one looks for like three or four hours. I'll die. What if there's an emergency? Has there been? I dare you. I dare you to call a party just for that reason and see who dies first. <laughs> I just like that. Pam told me about this idea. She read that when you're having dinner with somebody or a group of people, everybody takes their cell phones and they have to put them upside down next to each other and the first person who has to check their cell phone has to pay the bill. <laughs> I like that idea. Some of you would pay it. Okay, and some of you, this is going to be worse. Starting January 2nd, because you can't do this on New Year's, it'd kill you. January 2nd, take two weeks off where you don't look at Facebook ever for two weeks. Oh, see, the people who are clapping, the people who don't use Facebook. <laughs> see, what do they know? They got, they got addictions too. I'll deal with them later. 
Are you more attracted to your gadgets than you are to God and the community around you? We got to deal with this. It makes life so busy. Third indicator. We don't have time for the people we love. So, so Jesus finds this blind man. It's amazing to me that Jesus just didn't say, okay, see, he could have done that. He's done it before. But instead, he takes time. He takes time to make a salve. He puts it on the eyes. And then he says to the blind guy, find your way to the pool. So now he's got to make his way to the pool. And then he says, now go sit in the pool. Soak in there. Soak. And then you'll see things you've never seen before. We have got to figure out where God is telling us he is and go soak there if we're going to see things we haven't seen before. And so, to you who are raising families, forgive me if, if, I, if I get on your nerves here, but I got, I got to just tell you. Is it that important having your kids in every sports camp and traveling squad so that your family is exhausted? You say, well, but that's just life because I can see it. My kid's really great. He's going to get, she's going to get a scholarship to a college. Well, don't you think if that's what God wants, that kid will get there? And wouldn't it be much better they get there knowing God got them there instead of their own abilities? So wouldn't it be really wise for you to teach them how to soak in God's presence instead of being busy all the time? That in those places where God is, and even those moments when you should be together in, in, in a worship setting so they understand what it is to soak in God's presence and get his guidance and the, the understanding that he will give them all the resources they need and train them at an early age. Isn't it important to be in those places where they will learn that and they will soak that in so that as they get someplace else and get away from you and go to college or wherever else, they will understand that that peace when it's disrupted is not God and they will stay in that peace by soaking in him because they learned it from you Sports are not their future. You are their future. And you need to show them that. I, I just find it really interesting that the reason Jesus picked those 12 disciples, the scripture says, is not so they could go do all his work and not because he wanted them to be and display at every cathedral in the world in this century. No, he put them there because it says this, because he wanted to be with them. Just to hang out with them. Just to love them. Because he knows this. Jesus makes every moment a sacrament. If we want purpose, it's not in our busyness. Forget it, that's not gonna do it. It's in relationship. And when we get with Jesus, it's amazing to me that when we soak with Jesus, time moves into its proper place. Because you'll read in scripture, it'll say this. When the time had fully come, at the exact moment, at that exact moment that we are supposed to be soaking, that where we're supposed to be, God puts time where it's supposed to be so that God at that moment does in us, through us, and for us, what needs to be done. Those are called unforced rhythms of grace. That's when heaven and earth come together. That's called a holy, holy place. Because God has orchestrated this meeting. So that, that I walked into coffee culture the other day and saw somebody I hadn't seen for two years and we knew that at that moment, it was a God moment. It was a holy moment. And we took time and we talked. Are we so busy that we miss those God moments? 
and you have this inkling that you should stop and talk to someone or you should go by their house and see how they're doing or you should make a meal and get over there and yet you go, but my schedule is, if you have to say that, it means you're too busy. Shouldn't we walk at a pace and Jason called it earlier today in that video, margins where we have space where when God says, I need for you to be here to do this, to, and it's what I've made you for, shouldn't we have the space to accomplish that? So you know the story. Jesus goes to some friend's house, Mary and Martha, and the tradition is that the women always prepared the meal and had the house ready, and the men always sat with the rabbi. And so Martha is in full steam. She's full speed ahead. Sweat's just dripping off her, and vegetables are flying. And she's just, she's just, she's the first Martha. And she's doing the deal. If she would have had a cook, if anybody had a cooking show, it would have been her. And she's just, and she is just, it's going. And, and suddenly she realized that Mary is not there helping. So she walks out and leans around the corner. And Mary has done the unthinkable. She went into the man cave and is playing with the remote. She is where only men are allowed in that day at the feet of the rabbi. And what is she doing? She's soaking in him. And here's what happens. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, and there is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken from her. What is it that she, she discovered? Brady Boyd describes it this way. Consider this. God is not merely a peaceful person. God, in fact, is peace. When you and I sit in God's presence, we're sitting in the presence of peace. And when we sit there, actually stay there, quiet and still, we come away breathing differently. We come away with steadied souls. And there, astoundingly, we can become people of peace. We can become more like God. A peaceful pace. In our blindness, in our stumbling around, in our out-of-control rat race, God may not even be blocked out on our calendar, but I want to tell you, in Jesus' calendar, we are an all-day event. He is pursuing us, even when we are so busy, we don't know he's around. He's pursuing us so that he can anoint us with rest that he can help us to see what we are made to do. He will give us purpose and he will give us pace and we'll quit missing out on the parts of life we were sent to enjoy. I don't want to miss those. We begin to see that God has given us enough time to do what we need to do moment by moment with his grace and truth. And every moment is a sacrament where time touches eternity and there's exactly enough time to do what God has called us to do. And here's the deal. When we slow down, we begin to see what we're designed to do and is to be part of this love revolution. And we'll find this, that love changes the atmosphere from the exhaustive pursuit of our stuff, my needs, to a very joyful sharing of life. Yes, yes, yes! I'm here to make your day!
Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's Santa on the phone. Oh, brilliant. How are you, my dear? I'm good, Santa. Marvellous. Would you like a little present for your Christmas? Yeah, I'd like a present. Yay! One thing, it's not for you. It's not actually for me. That's not fair. Why? Because presents are for giving, not for receiving. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> you could give it to them. It's going to be wonderful. Now, you see that gentleman with the buggy? There's a lady with a blue coat. Look upstairs. You see that gentleman? Chase after him now with the big black bag. Run now. Go, go, go. Christmas. This is for you. Merry Christmas. This is the end. Feel what it is. So what's inside it? I don't know. Love changes the atmosphere from an exhaustive pursuit of our stuff to the sharing of love. So this week, would you unplug from the busyness and the gadgets? And, and let me just encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, go have coffee with a friend and just spend a good hour just really talking and listening I dare you not to even look at your watch and just hear what the person is saying and connect. Or when you go home, play with your kids, stay focused on them, and then don't go do any work you brought home from the office, but be present as a present to them. Or, when the day settles, you who are married, come home, cuddle on the couch. I did say cuddle. Don't turn on the TV. Turn on some Christmas music, the kind you like, little jazz. And then, stare in each other's eyes for just 30 seconds. I can't do that. No, don't do it. Stare in each other's eyes and communicate love just by sight. And some of you will be able to do that. You're going to cross your eyes or stick out your tongue. Just do your best to just stay focused and then give each other a passionate kiss. Or, or in addition to, go give a gift to someone who's not expecting one from you. Just like you saw. How fun would that be? 
to somebody you know. They go, what are you doing? Just because just I want to tell you, I, I really appreciate you. You're not going to give them the four spiritual laws of how to find Jesus. If it comes up, that's great. But just give them. Because being generous is an awareness of the presence of the one who is ultimately generous. And then finally, Christmas is a celebration of whose birthday? Jesus. So how about giving Jesus a gift? Sometime in the next week, would you take 30 to 60 minutes and would you just go be by yourself, turn on some good worship music that's singing praises to him, and as the praises are going up, would you say, that's how I feel. Those are the words I would use. That's, they're much better at it, but Jesus, that's, I thank you for that. This is, thank you, thank you. Do you. And sometimes when I get into that, I start saying to Jesus, do you know who you are? Do you realize what you do? Do you, do you know that you did this? And thank him for who he is and who he's making you to be. And then just sit there and soak. Soak in his presence until you can sleep in heavenly peace. Will you stand? Sing it with me. Silent night. Holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant soul. Tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. So this week, try to stay in the place that you're always in peace. And that's always by being presently aware of the Jesus who loves you. And if you want to stay in peace right now, do not go down Peach Street. <laughs> Merry Christmas.